He invites us to learn to see the three-dimensional picture of who Jesus actually is. Hey, Cross United, I'm so glad you joined us for this online message. We're going to be in John 12, verses 20 through 36. We're going to be talking about four ways to see. But before we do uh, get into the message, I want to encourage you to go to crossunited.org. And if you would click online check-in, that'll take you to a digital connection card. We would love to connect with you to get to know you a little bit better. You can let us know how we can be praying for you in, in ways you might want to connect with our church. Also at crossunited.org, there's a tab that says give. If you consider Cross United your church home or you just consider yourself a generous person, click that tab and that will take you to our secure online giving platform. As a new church, we're supported both by internal giving and by those who are members of our church family. We also have many churches and individuals from all over the country who are supporting us and providing and, and partnering financially. And so um, I encourage you to go there and click give and join many others who are supporting the mission that God has given us in this community. If you're there in John 12 verses 20 through 36, we're going to be talking, like I said, about four ways to see. When I was a kid, maybe you remember these, there, there were these pictures that were called stereograms, where it looked like just this random assortment of patterns on a page or, or on a wall. But when you, when, you, when you looked at it long enough, and I remember, so, you know, you'd hear someone go, whoa, that's amazing. Can you see it? And I'd say, what? They'd say this picture, it's it's not just this random pattern. There's a there's a shark or there's a there's a car or, or there's some other image embedded in, in this picture. There's there's a there's another picture here. And, and and it's this this way of forming these images where if you change the way you see, that you can see that it's not just this random assortment of images, but it's actually this 3D image. Well, for a long time I couldn't see those those pictures people they'd say well you need to get a little closer and then just walk slowly away or they, they, they gave me all sorts of tips and finally I learned a new way of seeing and I would look at these pictures and I and you can still you can pull them up online and you look and if you look at them the right way you'll see that it's not just this random assortment of pictures but it is in fact this 3d image that our eyes can see that's that's there all the time, you just have to learn how to see it. Well, sometimes when we approach the Bible, um, we can it kind of can seem like this flat and random set of words, things that you know maybe don't make a lot of sense or that we think don't really have any relevance for us. But when we learn how to see, it pops out almost like oh, like miraculously. Th those those books were called the magic eye, and, and it's not magic, but it is a miracle of God's Holy Spirit that we can see the three-dimensional image, the three-dimensional picture of what the Bible is teaching us about. And that's nowhere more true than in John's gospel. This story of Jesus that his friend John wrote decades after having walked with Jesus on earth and having seen the life of Jesus on earth and having ministered and served and told people about Jesus for his whole life. And now toward the end of his life, he's written this biographical 
portrait of Jesus. And in this, in this, in this book we call the Gospel According to John, that we're calling the Book of Life, he invites us to learn to see the three-dimensional picture of who Jesus actually is and what Jesus has come to do and what he came to do and what he is still doing. And he's told this story. He's, he's, he's moved the story along through the first 12 chapters, and we've talked about each of those stories as he's, he's spoken to Nicodemus about needing to be born again. He said in chapter 6 that he's the bread of life, and he's fed the, the multitudes. And in chapter 9, he's given the man who was born blind his sight. We, we see that la- last time in chapter 12, verse 12, uh, 12 verses, not 12 through 19, that, that we are called to wake up and see the glory of Christ. And it's easy enough to say, see Christ, to look. But sometimes we have to learn how to see. It's always there. The picture's always there. But sometimes it's like those stereogram images, those magic eye books, where if we don't know how to look, it just looks like flat, random shapes. John's invited us to wake up and see the glory of Christ, and now he's going to give us four ways to see. Four ways to see. He suggests, hey, try blurring your eyes a little bit. Step closer and then back away. Get get further back and get a little bit of perspective on this person, my friend, the Savior, Jesus. Seeing Jesus is is not like this four these four four things are not like a like a four step wiki how article and you know step 1 step 2 step 3 like a youtube tutorial on on how to change a blinker blinker bulb in your van it, it's it's more like f- postures it's more like 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 a way to 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 just slightly change your perspective and as we move through the episode we're going to see here in Jesus's earthly life As he enters the final week of his life, we're going to see these four ways to see. The first one is here in chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Seek to see. Now, some of the Greeks who were among them, those who went up to worship at the festival, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. These these Greeks arrive, maybe from an area called the Decapolis, not far away. Um, we don't have any indication they were Jewish. They were they were Greek uh, people. They were they were non-Jewish. They were Gentile people, and they've come to this festival and they want to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus, and this is an an, an initial fulfillment of the unintentional prophecy of the Jewish leaders, just the verse before in chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, the world has gone after him. And here we see that that is the truth. The world is coming after and and being drawn to Jesus. And it's interesting, they approach Philip, Philip and then Andrew, because these were both Greek names. These would have been Greek speaking. They, they would have spoken Hebrew as well. But Philip was the, the father of Alexander the Great, one of the great Greek 
uh, rulers and, and conquerors. And, and, and so Philip was a name that the, these Greek people say, oh, that, that's Philip. He, he probably understands our culture. And, and he's from Bethsaida, which is near where we're from. And, and so he will, 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 will represent our desire to Jesus, maybe in a way that, that some of the other disciples wouldn't have done. He speaks our language, both figuratively and literally. Here, and here we see that, that sometimes people say that in Christ, all of our, our differences, ethnically and culturally, sort of melt away and that, that nothing else uh, matters but our union with Christ. And while our union with Christ is the primary element of our identity, we see that our cultural and ethnic identities remain even after we are brought into Christ. Christ is not saving a generic humanity. He is saving a people from every tongue and tribe and family and nation. Our ethnicity, where we're from, who we're from matters. God made us on purpose. He placed us where he placed us and he made us who he made us on purpose. And as we seek to be a multi-ethnic church, we see that we're going to celebrate and, and, and glorify God in our diversity that is fundamentally unity in Christ. But what's more important than this Greek identity of these folks is the fact that they are Greeks who seek that, that more important than their ethnicity or their culture or their language is their desire to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus. Everything starts here. We're talking about four ways to see, and the first way, seek to see, starts with this miracle of desire. You know, it's a miracle that anyone would want to see God and would want to see Christ. It's a miracle because the scripture says no one seeks after God. All are spiritually blind because of sin, because of our rebellion. We don't want to see God. We don't want to seek after God. And so what we see here is that God is at work in these Greeks who seek. And if you are seeking after God, if you're longing for, 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 for more, if you're looking for something, if you're trying to see Jesus, if you're trying to understand and you want to understand the scripture, God is doing a miraculous work in your heart and in your life. If someone you know is, is seeking, God is working in that person's life. We live in a world of longing and desire. People are longing for hope and faith and love. People are longing for life. And our church exists to help people find life like God intended by bringing people to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, bringing people together in authentic community, and sending people out on the joyful mission that God has for them in the world. These Greeks are seeking. They want to see Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew bring this request to Jesus, and Jesus is going to answer here. And his answer seems strange and off-topic. But at just this point, we see Jesus point toward how to see him. Do you really want to see me? Well, then this is the way. Serve, secondly, serve to see. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. 
But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In response to these Greeks who seek, Jesus responds that his hour has arrived. His hour is his moment of crucifixion. His hour is the moment of his destiny, the passion where he goes to the cross to bear the sin of the world. And, and he says the hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Because in the crucifixion is the counterintuitive revelation of the glory of the eternal King. That in the crucifixion, the glory of Christ is revealed as he gives himself in obedience to the Father and in sacrifice for his people to death. And he is buried, and then the resurrection vindicates his glory. And he, he, he explains it like a seed. A seed has to go into the ground and it has to die to its current form in order to bear the fruit that's intended for it. Just this week... Um, our four-year-old Livy had a had a, a, a thing in class where they op- they carved a pumpkin and and they pulled out all the goop inside of the pumpkin, all the you know the the stuff and all the seeds, and they they washed the seeds off. And our teacher sent all the kids home with a baggie full of pumpkin seeds. And she got her pumpkin seeds and she said, "Daddy, I want to put the pumpkin seeds. I want to bury them and I want to plant them." So we, we went out to the backyard and we found a little spot and we dug a little hole and we put some pumpkin seeds in the hole and we covered it up and told her to water it every day. And if that seed, if that's good soil, the seed will die to its current form and in however long a pumpkin takes to grow, it will sprout and it will be green and then it will be orange and we will have a pumpkin and it will bear fruit. Jesus reminds us that this is the principle of life. You have to lo- 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 lose your soul if you're going to gain it. You have to hate your soul if you're going to love it. He calls us to follow him into the hour the Father has called him into, the moment prepared for eternity where the Father, Son, and Spirit covenanted together to create and to save the world and the people who would reject them, that they would draw those people back to themselves. And those who would see Jesus must follow him. Do you want to see Jesus? Then you have to serve him. You have to, you have to, Plod after him through the valley of the shadow of death. Seen rejects self-protection and it seeks the glory of Christ. You have to follow Jesus up the hill of Calvary and take up your cross. You have to die to your preferences. You have to die to your way of self-serving. You have to die to your comforts. You have to die to your dreams at times. You have to follow him where he leads. One of the things we pray for our kids is that our kids would know Jesus and love him and trust him and follow wherever he leads. This is what it means to serve, and this is a way we see. One of our slogans as a church is here to serve. I'm so grateful so many of you, so many in our church embody that and get, you know, to church early and set things up and, and stay late to clean things up and and serve throughout the week and do so many things. And and just, you know, in the next few weeks, we're going to be reopening our kids' ministry, and we're going to need servants to step back into that ministry because we see Jesus as we serve Jesus. We glimpse the glory of Christ when we serve. We live and we serve for Christ. 
when we serve Christ, we see Christ. Kids serve when they treat their brother or sister like their preference and their desire is more important than their own. By, by not fighting over who gets to sit where or who gets to watch what on TV or who's playing with what toy. Parents serve kids when they want yet one more thing and the parent serves. You serve and you see. The third thing, here to see. Now is my soul troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Christ astounds us here with his self-sacrificing desire for the glory of the Father. And he says his soul is troubled because he wasn't just God in a human costume. He was truly man, fully God and fully man. He, he truly felt the, the feelings that we feel and the, the, he, the, the, the trepidation of the travails that awaited him. And he was troubled. But he won't demand deliverance. He won't throw away his shot to glorify his father. He will not pray for his own salvation, but for his father's glory. And his moment arrives and he leans into it. He's troubled because he's a man, but he prays only for the glory of his father. And the father thunders his response. I have glorified it and I will glorify it Again, I have glorified it. I glorified it in creation. I glorified it in the incarnation when you were born of a virgin. I glorified it as you did my work and my will as we see all throughout John as Christ's work is seen to be the Father's work. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I will glorify it in the cross. I will glorify it in the empty tomb. I will glorify it in the ascension and the spirit being poured out on my people and the missionary work of the church through the ages. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And Jesus says, he said this for you, not for me. And here we, 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 we learn the third principle of this, this passage, that we have to listen, we have to hear to see, that we have to open our ears to see. Faith comes by hearing, the scripture says. We walk by faith and not by sight. The Father spoke not for me, but for you, Jesus said. In the Bible, one of the first things we learn about God is that God is a God who speaks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering. And God said, let there be light. And God said. We learn that God is a God who speaks. What we call the Ten Commandments in Hebrew are literally the Ten Words. John starts off his gospel with this very point, right? In the beginning was the word, the father who has eternally spoken a word, eternally generated or begotten a son without sequence or time, an eternal generation of life, an eternal speech act in which the word subsists in the divine nature with the father and the spirit. We serve a God who speaks. And so the primary sense of 
for the Christian is not sight, but hearing. The primary organ is not the eye, but it's the ears. We have to open our ears to see. You want to see Jesus? You got to listen to Jesus. How do you listen to Jesus? Well, the, the, the number one way, open your Bible and listen. Fourth, and finally, trust to see. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. So the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. The moments arrived. Jesus is going to the cross. Judgment is now here. And as he's lifted up, he is exalted. And and as the Father draws this this cosmic group, this 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 international family to him. It is a cosmic exorcism that he's casting out Satan from the hearts and the lives of people in every place, in every time. This moment of judgment is when God expels Satan from his destructive influence in the lives of people. Satan is called the ruler of this world, and he hates Christ, and he hates the gospel, and he hates the church. And I, I've seen this up close and personal. I've shared this with you before, but 16 days into our full-time church planning journey, I suffered a spiritual attack that, that didn't debilitate me, but definitely hindered me and hurt me for, for, for months. And, and I still, in some ways, have the lingering effects of that satanic attack because Satan hates new churches and he hates the gospel. And just like he tried to kill Jesus in infancy, he tries to kill new churches in infancy. And some of you have seen the, the, the onslaught of Satan up close, maybe more than even I have. But take heart, because Jesus says in the chapters ahead that the ruler of the world is coming, but he has no power over me, John 14, 30. And that in John 16, 11, the ruler of this world has been judged. Paul the apostle explains that Jesus triumphs and, and exercises Satan from the hearts and the lives of people in the cross. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Christ. Colossians 2:14 and 15. How do you fight spiritual war? You lean into the gospel and you trust the conquest of Christ over Satan on your behalf. Augustine said, the Lord was preaching what he knew, 
that after his passion and glorification, many peoples throughout the world, within whose hearts the devil was, would believe. And when they renounce him from their faith, he is cast out. He still assaults us, but Augustine notes, it's one thing to rule within another to assail from without, meaning if you are in Christ, Satan can attack you, but he can't get inside of you. He can attack you as an outward enemy, but Christ will be your front defense, your rear guard. He will be, you know, gird yourself with the, with the, 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 the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the shoes in the gospel of peace. Guard yourself with the gospel that in the cross, Christ exercised Satan from the cosmos. And as Christ is lifted up on the cross, he defeats Satan and he draws the world to himself. He reverses the magnetic polarization of the nations so that those who formerly were repelled by him are drawn to him. This is why we named our church Cross United, because in the cross, Christ draws the nations to himself. The cross is the glory. The cross is the power. The cross is salvation. The pathway of life leads through the shadowed valley of death. Now, the crowd, and we, we can have some sympathy for them, couldn't quite get their minds around it. They knew there were verses in the Old Testament that pointed to the eternal life of the Messiah, um, and they didn't understand how Jesus could say that he was going to have to die, and he was going to have to be lifted up, and he was going to have to be crucified. And it confuses them. And, and we know the full story, and, and, and so it's easy for us to look back and say, well, how can it confuse them? But, but Jesus doesn't call them in that moment to totally and fully get it. He calls them simply to trust. He calls them to trust. He doesn't call them to see everything. He calls them to trust him. He calls them to trust the light that he is and that he shines into the world. He, 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 throughout John, John talks about Jesus being the light. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it, John 1, 4, and 5. He says, I, Christ says, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. Psalm 36, 9 says, the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. And he's telling these hearers, in the light, you will find salvation. The light transforms those who bask in its, in its glory into sons, full legal heirs of light. They're not lark locked into dark and dim patterns of behavior and sin. They can become something new. Time was short. Soon enough, in verse 36, he was hidden from them, reminding us that we need to look and we have to trust while we still have time. We need to learn a new way of seeing. We seek to see. We serve to see. We hear to see, and we trust to see. You know, when I was a kid, I finally learned how to see those magic eye pictures. And, and for me, what, what I did, I would, I would sort of blur my vision, and all of a sudden, almost like magic, this picture would pop out, and I would see. We have to learn a new way of seeing. We have to look sideways. We have to blur our vision of this world. We have to unfocus from the normal patterns and things in our lives and look to Christ 
and ask him to help us see, to seek him, to serve him, to listen to him, and to trust him.